Welcome to this edition of the Inside Carolina On The Beat Live podcast. I am your host, Tommy Ashley. We are sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Of course, that's Gregory Hall. That's Greg Barnes. On The Beat Live. What is this, four, Gregory? Is this the fourth one this year we've done? Yeah, this is episode four. Episode four, and with episode four comes plenty of practice scoop. Uh, I believe 12 practices in, 12 or 13 practices in. A lot of news. If you've been on Inside Carolina's YouTube channel, you've seen all the press conferences or all the uh, player interviews and all, and we're going to dig into that. We're going to dig into what Greg and Gregory think are the biggest things that have come out of preseason camp thus far or fall camp thus far. Greg, I'll come to you first, and it's one question that I have to ask first. Everybody knows my M.O. How does one create separation as a coach? at a position group, specifically the backup quarterback position, because Max said in his presser that he needs to get on Phil Longo to do things to create separation. How does that happen? Well, you, what you're trying to do is, is putting the players in as many um, adverse situations as you can. Basically, what you're trying to do is you're, you want to test them to the extreme. Uh, and because the quarterbacks are, are not allowed to get hit, in training camp, uh, that takes away one of the great concerns, right? And so because quarterbacks know they're not going to get hit, you don't have that fear that you have on, on game day when you know somebody's going wanting to take your head off. 11 guys are wanting to take your head off. Uh, and so you have to fabricate that, and you have to put them in situations where uh, interceptions are likely or where they're going to get flushed out of the pocket, those types of things. Um, and then you have, to have, you have to have enough scheme in place where you really kind of test them in those situations. So it's really just a matter of, of throwing as much at them as you possibly can. And I think that's one of the things that, that Mac talked about. Uh, he didn't feel like there was enough being done uh, to generate separation. And so it, it's on Phil to, to do what he can uh, the latter part of camp. I mean, camp's over. Camp, camp ended today. Classes start on Wednesday. Uh, team has it off as they move back into their normal – uh, residency areas, whether it's off campus or in residence halls on campus. Uh, so they're kind of running out of time to, to get this solved, but uh, that's all you're trying to do is trying to test them and however many unique ways as you can to find some kind of crack. It's interesting about that is if you can't get hit and, and we've seen guys that will dominate seven on sevens or, or do certain things and you can't get hit. How does, I mean, Tell me more about how do you to how do you get that through? Like, say Jacoby Criswell is just great in practice, and I'm just using current guys' names. Yeah. But when somebody's trying to hit him, he goes crazy and he has happy feet and he doesn't play well. I mean, I don't think the backup issue will be ironed out until they at least get some live bullets, right? Probably. I think that's fair. Uh, we, we do know that Drake May had a heck of an offseason. Uh, and, and the rate that he's coming is incredible. Uh, as as we, we learned at the beginning of camp, you, Drake May in spring was kind of where Jacoby was last year. And even coming into training camp, there was still a gap there. Uh, but I think they've been really impressed with what Drake has done. And so, yeah, you know, I don't know how many times we, we've talked. I mean, even dating back to, to Darian Durant, right? I mean, here, here's a guy who was an okay practice player. But once he got into games, he lit up and he was he was great. 
Marquise Williams, I'll never forget. Like the first, the first training camp that he was at North Carolina, everybody around the program was like, okay, this guy's a great athlete. What position is he going to play next? Because quarterback is not his deal. Like he's not accurate enough uh, to be able to, to make this work. And yet he kept grinding, kept grinding. And once he got into the game, all of a sudden, wait a minute, you know, he takes a hit and he gets better. Like the focus is there and he's more competitive. Uh, and so, yeah, I agree with you. I think if it's really as close as they say it is, it's going to take some, some live bullets to really see how they perform. That'll be something we watch. Uh, the Virginia Tech game, mm, depends on how that one goes. Maybe not so much, but of course the next I mean, couple of weeks. Yeah, Go those, ahead, live bull- those live bullets come week two, right? And then Most likely, yeah. Georgia State. I mean, because Mac was it last year that they took Sam out at the first half? Like after one half, and he was like, I've never done that before. And so, I mean, you can see that again. Obviously, it's early in the season, so Sam's going to play at least a half. And see, that's the that's the great conversation here um, because, as we know, standard operating procedure for Mac Brown is, has been he wants to play his starters until the fourth quarter, even in blowouts. He just thinks that's, that's fair, that's always worked for him, and it's not until you get into the fourth quarter where you kind of have an idea how the game's going to play out. You also have the – the matter of Sam Howe is a legitimate Heisman Trophy candidate. Uh, the most likely option that North Carolina has had in a long, long time. Um, so you want to make sure that, that you give him every opportunity to shine and make sure he gets those stats. So how does that affect your decision? If you're up by 40 points, you know, early in the third quarter, do you go ahead and pull him to prepare for next year? Or are you doing him a disservice, not letting him rack up some easy yards in a in a award race that's largely dependent upon stats? Um, and that's that's why Mac makes the big bucks. That's why I'm not making those decisions. But those are all the things that kind of come into play. What would you do though? What would I do if I had a legitimate Heisman Trophy candidate? You might I not would, make I the would, big bucks, but what are you doing? I would wear his hiney out. He would play <laughs> every him. snap of every <laughs> single game. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I agree. And he'd throw for 600 against Georgia State. Yep. <laughs> and stuff like that. But, Seven you know, touchdowns. Make a running right. clock halfway through the third quarter. <laughs> but my uh, my experience in offensive coordinating is uh, NCAA 2014, still over here on the PlayStation <laughs> 3. So, yeah, you know, but he uh, – it, it, that'll be the dynamic all season, I think, is, is how do you, like you said, do Sam a, a service and do the program a service by getting – either May or Chriswell ready, it'll be something to watch all season. And like you said, Mac makes those dollars. And the challenge with that is I guarantee you, knowing how Sam Howe is, he ain't worried about the award. He wants to make sure that the team takes care of. Um, And so that's another element that that, it'd be one thing if your quarterback say, hey, I want to play every single snap, but Sam's not that way. You also like there's two legitimate backups right now, right? Which are Colby and Drake that you're trying to see. So it's not – hey, let's have Sam do three quarters, and then you really only have maybe maybe two offensive drives in the fourth quarter. You can do one a quarterback, but then you're not really seeing both guys. So it's like you don't have a lot of time at all. So Yeah, and, and I mean, if, if folks think Sam Howell cares about the stats, just look at his first NIL deal. I mean, it wasn't even about him. He could have gone and gotten paid a ton and didn't do it. And, and I think that speaks to – is the young man's mindset and it applies in this situation as well greg uh stand hey. up and show us the shirt how about that all right 
and, and flip around and let's see the back if you can if you can twirl now you're asking me to do fashion show <laughs> fashion show that is folks the inside carolina 20 year anniversary <laughs> shirt um folks on inside carolina message board certainly had the opportunity to get them through i think underground printing there in downtown uh, on franklin street in chapel hill and uh, lucky for us i do not have mine on today so i need to get a filter and hide my shirt uh, but lucky for the inside carolina employees that mr buck sanders and everybody provided for us as well just another little bit of swag that i see folks get let's uh turn it from howell because i think i have an opinion on who's going to be my favorite player this year but we'll, we'll save that for georgia state maybe but let's turn from uh Sam Howell to the running back discussion. I think that was another big chunk of news that came out. And folks are asking is, is the um, naming of Caleb Hood as the backup quarterback, is that a good thing or is it something to be excited about or worried about? Greg, I think it's something to be extremely excited about. I think the guy is different. I think Ty Chandler is going to be great in this offense, but I think Caleb Hood is going to be – we talked with Josh Pate last week of late kick Josh. And he said Ty Chandler was a hinge player and maybe so, but I think Caleb Hood's different for this team brings a different dynamic than maybe Carolina hadn't had in a while. I don't even think, I think he's bigger and more powerfully built than even Javante. What do you think, Greg? Yeah. I mean, the, the fact that Michael Carter and Javante Williams combine combined for like 125 uh, broken tackles, avoided tackles last year speaks to, uh, their ability as runners, but also their power. And, and one thing that we talked about in, in spring is, um, you know, we were able to watch all the scrimmages and there were just times when you, when you heard somebody lay a hit and by the end of spring, we were like, okay, well that's Caleb. Um, and that's, that's something that a lot of these other guys on the roster don't bring. Um, and so there's, there's value in that. You know, Mac has said that he wants to be able, if there's a third and two, he doesn't want to have to go with an RPO. He doesn't want to have to get cute. He wants to be able to say, this third and two, we're putting this running back in, and we're getting those two yards, whether or not they stack the line with 11 guys or not. Um, and you know, maybe Caleb eventually will get there. Maybe he's already there. Uh, the other element of this, though, is I mean, North Carolina, after Javante and Michael Carter left, and after, I mean, Javante, really, uh, what did they do with the running back room? They went to the transfer portal. That tells you all you need to know kind of about the, how that room is set up. Um, there's a lot of inexperience with a lot of youth in that room. They needed somebody that could step in uh, and somebody that they would have trust in. We saw how things played out in the Orange Bowl. And you know, it, they were fine. They weren't great. They weren't going to be difference makers. And so I, I don't think it should really be a surprise that one of these freshmen kind of showed out in camp. Now, uh, we had heard they really liked DJ Jones, and we kind of expected him to be the number two guy at least early uh, in the year. So the fact that Caleb Hood um, has apparently hurdled him, I mean, uh, that says a lot. But you've got a lot of bodies in this room, and they've been searching for somebody to really step up and, and give them an option other than Ty Chandler. Uh, and Caleb's taking advantage of that opportunity. Yeah, and that leads to a few people in the chat have asked the question of, is this exciting or worrying? 
And basically, did Caleb win this or was he the only option because nobody else was stepping up and basically they all lost it? And I think based on what we've seen, Greg, this is a case of he won it. This was his his thing. He's the best. He's obviously the number two guy right now. Like you said, he can bounce off bodies and things like that. And then another person asked over under 500 yards for Caleb Hood. And I think that depends on usage rate because, I mean, it's I'm, he's definitely capable of getting that. And I think anyone who's the backup could be capable of getting that. But it just kind of depends on, yes, right now he's in that number two backup role, but we still don't know the running back by committee approach that Phil Longo might use, right? Because if it's just Ty Chandler and it's just Caleb Hood, then that would be what we've got Ty Chandler going over 900 and then saying the two of them with that getting 1,400 yards, that's a no-brainer. That's going to happen if UNC wants to be successful offensively, right? The running backs are going to have to get 1,400 yards. It just depends on how many reps you get. What are your y'all's thoughts? I'll tell you what I think. I I think Chandler's over 1,000. And I think think Hood's under 500 because I just don't see the – and I could be wrong – occasionally uh, i don't see the rotation as evenly balanced as it was last year i think chandler chandler's there um and if folks listen to tommy thigpen's interview when he was talking about ty chandler ty chandler's come there to shine somebody mentioned in the chat chandler hadn't had you know 100 yards more than three times in his career or whatever he hadn't had the opportunity to do that you know and he's gonna have plenty of opportunity in this offense, I think he'll be the main guy. I think Hood could approach five, um, but I think there it'll be spread out. I do think, like you mentioned, Gregory and Greg, you can certainly comment better than that on better on that than I can. But I think Carolina needs to have you know fifteen hundred, seventeen fifty, two thousand yards rushing this year um, to accomplish the goals that they've set out. They can be good without it. I think if they're going to do what people expect them to do this year, then I think they need to push that Russian total way up. Yeah, I mean, if you go back to just 2019, not including the freakish year that Javante and Carter had last year, uh, but in 2019, UNC rushed for 2,400 yards in in 13 games. So, yeah, I mean, the yards are going to come from somewhere. And I agree that it's a usage rate kind of deal. Um, but I will say this about Hood. You don't back into a too deep as a true freshman who's never played in a game without proving it to the coaches in practice. This is not going to happen. There's other guys on this team uh, that, have, that have played in games that the coaches have an idea of what they can do. And so if you know what certain guys will do on the field, I mean, there's a number of guys that played in the Orange Bowl. That's a big-time deal against a big-time opponent. Um, and while they weren't great, they weren't terrible. And so even though they have that experience level for Caleb to come in and, and prove to the coaches that, that he's capable, that's not him backing into it. That's him actually winning the job. So, so kudos to him for, for putting in the work. Uh, he's a great athlete. Uh, everybody knows who his father is. He was a great quarterback in high school. Um, so for him to make the transition to running back the, the way that he apparently has, uh, it's pretty impressive, and I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. Javante and Michael had, I think they combined for like 313 rushes last year. And obviously they averaged like eight yards per carry, some absurd numbers, right? But if you're if we're thinking about the running back group here, 
and say the top three guys combined for 300 rushes. Ty Chandler is obviously going to get the most. Like, say Caleb Hood ends up getting 100 rushes. Obviously, five yards per carry would get to that 500. Do you, don't, do you think that's feasible? I mean, these guys last year, DJ Jones, and I know it was a small sample size, both him and British Brooks were like right at 4.9, 5.1 yards per carry. And this offensive line is even more veteran. So I don't know if 500 yards is that. I think I disagree with Tommy with the under there is what I'm saying. Just based here's, on usage stuff. Right. But here's the other element. Like our, our initial talking point here was what? It was about the backup quarterbacks. The reason that's a talking point is that the last two years, North Carolina has had a lot of very competitive games where you had to have Sam Howell in the game in the fourth quarter. I mean, he, he gained that reputation as, as being elite in the fourth quarter for a reason. Uh, the expectation this year is that North Carolina has taken a significant step forward on both sides of the ball. Um, and so they should win a lot of these games big. What happens late in games when you're up big, you're not throwing the ball down the field. You're handing it off. Uh, so in theory, you're going to have more rushing opportunities. Now they may split the reps up more you know, further down the depth chart to really make sure they know who their number two and number three and number four options are. Uh, but I mean, there's a chance you'll see more rushes than we've seen the, the last two years just because of that. Also a fact of North Carolina average, I think 12 yards or more on 20% of their running plays last year. Average 12 or more on 20%. 20, that's ridiculous. That's, that's insane. <laughs> yeah. That's insane. That ain't happening this year. If no. that happens this year, uh, no chance. Yeah. We're having a whole different conversation um and first weekend in december um saying all that about the running backs the quarterbacks greg something i wanted to discuss because i think it's relevant but i don't know if it's as big a deal as maybe it would have been in years past and that's brian anderson coming back from being banged up you know when you hear um people talk about q johnson and you hear stacy serrells talk about his his guys the thing I think about the most is this line's been together for three years now, going on third year. If Anderson was out two years ago and missed, say the starting center's out for a month in fall camp and preseason, going into Mac's first year, that's bad. That's not good. But these guys have been together for so long. Anderson's being out. Is that is that a detriment to this team, to this unit? Um, especially given the, the cohesiveness and the continuity they've had over the last three years? I think so. Um, I don't think it's a good thing. I mean, North Carolina has 10 practices left before Virginia Tech. Um, I mean, that's not many. He's got to practice without question. He's got he's to get back practice. on the field. More now, than just the drills that he's currently doing, right? He's just yeah. doing – Searles just said today he's just doing drills and getting back in the swing of things, which is what Bo was doing day one. And Bo and BA, weren't they both listed the same as like limited or did they have different? Yes. Uh, I think they were both well, listed the same, well, right? Well, Bo was limited. Uh, Brian was, was out early. Okay. And then he was going to – the expectation, of course, is for both of them to be ready for the, for the opener. But it seems like Bo's going to be there before Brian is at this point. Well, we'll see. Uh, Bo's – you know. Bo's been a work in progress for a while. Uh, we thought he may be back for day one, and that, and that hadn't happened. So um, there, I, I think what that tells you is, number one, they know what they've got with Bo and with Brian. Um, 
So they're probably being very cautious in bringing those guys back. There's no need to kind of rush them. But at the same time, they do need to practice. They, they do need to get, get in tune and, and get that chemistry together. I mean, one thing that Lonnie Galloway talked about on Saturday is Choffrey Brown has been limited throughout camp. Uh, and one of the, the points of emphasis right now is they're trying to get him gelled with Sam Howell because that's, that's important. You, you've got to have that chemistry with your quarterback. And the same goes with the offensive line, right? I mean, you've, you've got to make sure you're in tune with your teammates. Now, as you said, Tommy, it helps – You've had three years together. You know each other. Um, but, yeah, I just think you got to get him back sooner than later to make sure that he's prepared. Because that's going to be such an important game. It's going to be very loud. There's going to be a lot of hand signals involved. So all those things are important. Not just working with Choffrey as far as chemistry. The whole – I mean, Lonnie and Mac were both not happy with the deep ball at all. Both just the connections. Like Mac brought that up of things like they were trying to see what was going on in the scrimmage on Saturday, and that the deep ball connections still aren't there, which is a huge part of this offense. So that's be something to watch for the second scrimmage come this Saturday if that's been ironed out, or if that's really just I don't know Sam getting used to the receivers and vice versa. But it also made it seem like it was more of the receivers trying to get that separation from the corners, who obviously have taken a step forward. Right, you have to consider who. They're going up against, they're going up against Tony Grimes, who was preseason all ACC and things like that. But I think that's something to watch considering how much they lean on this, the deep ball in this offense. There's also a concern too, with, with too many guys running free in the defensive backfield. So um, I think that goes more towards. I don't know if that's much of a concern though, considering they want the defensive line to be back there. Yeah. But I think the, um, I think it kind of gets into the fact of, it's the UNC offense against the UNC defense. Um, which which one's looking really good? Which one's looking bad? Are they both average? Doesn't the defense always isn't the defense always looking better? I just remember the last like first Typically. three years, the defense is always looking better, and then week one, it's like oh, it's fine. Sam Howell's there, out there. <laughs> there have been a lot of uh, a lot of years where we've heard a lot about the defense and training camp, and then you get to the season, you're like, yeah, okay. We see True. why. Yeah. So so random question. In, in spring ball and in fall camp, how do you want it to shake out when they're ones versus ones? Do you want it to be nothing, nothing? Do you want it to be, you know, well, what, I mean, what is good? Mac, Mac made the good point, and Larry used to say this in, in different ways. Larry would say it more kind of behind the scenes. Uh, but Mac was like, look, you know, we're running the ones versus the ones, yes, but we're not scheming against one another. Right. I mean, it's not like we're saying, okay, well, we think Jay Bateman is going to do this on first and 10. So we're going to scheme to try to take advantage of it. That's not what they're doing. They're working on their plates. And so you're going to have some busts. Uh, it's like what we saw in the spring game. You know, somebody has a big play, like, oh, that guy looked great. Well, the defense really wasn't even prepped for that. So it's not like the defense screwed up or is that great of a play. It was just the way that the, the two plays kind of came together, that option was there. Um, and so it's very easy this time of year to read too much into what happens on plays. Now, when you watch a video clip of Josh Downs breaking somebody's ankles, that's impressive. Um, but if somebody's running free in the secondary, that doesn't necessarily mean that the defense screwed up. That just means that you know, maybe the play structure wasn't wasn't you know, what was in, needed to be happening. Uh, for uh, the defense to stop that play. It was just you know, something that they're working on that had nothing to do with the offensive scheme. And I think, I mean, you mentioned guys running free. 
we, with the offensive line being veterans and the defensive line, you, at least we want to, you want to see the young guys be showing that they're capable of beating these veteran offensive line guys. Cause I don't think it's as much a concern the offensive line, because you know what they can do, whereas the defensive line, you don't. So I think that's something that they're probably okay with as far as, look, okay, defensive line can live up to the hype that we're trying to build around it because, yeah, we can sit back and be like, yeah, we've got 10 really big guys. Yeah, you've got 10 really big guys that can't get past an offensive lineman. Well, but if they that, can. Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. And kind of to that point, just compare Stacey Sarrell's press conference versus, we haven't talked Tim Cross yet, but to Jay Bateman's. And Sarah's like, well, we know what we've got at starting offensive line. We're working on the second team. We're really concerned with making sure those guys are playing up to that same level. Whereas Bateman's like, we got a lot of bodies up front. We're trying to figure out who the best players are. Those are two completely different conversations. And so, yeah, I think you're right that, that they're really pushing the defensive linemen to kind of see who's going to step up and who earns you know, that, that playing time. Yeah, and I think – the reference to guys running free was in the defensive backfield where receivers are getting open. I, I think my take from listening to Mac and listening to everybody is if the opportunity to make a play is there, you got to make it. Yep. And they haven't made it in practice and in scrimmages as much as Mac would like to see, whether it's hitting a deep ball, whether it's, you know, I saw Dante Balfour making a great interception. Um, ACC review probably would have overturned it. Just, you know, that's how the ACC works. But, uh, you know, it is um, – that's the deal. It, it, you got to make plays when the opportunity presents, and I think that's that's the key for this team to have some success. I want to talk about the defense, but I'm going to talk about Johnny T-Shirt right now. Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com, certainly sponsors of this great Inside Carolina podcast and the great Johnny T-Shirt that takes care of you on Franklin Street. We were in there on Saturday on move-in day um, for Carolina students. It was a pop-in place. You know, you can get whatever you need for uh, your tailgating, for your Carolina swag, football, basketball, anything. They've got it all. And, of course, Johnny T-Shirt offers that 10% off on your order if you're Inside Carolina Premium subscriber. For the audio version, one of the last few audio versions of this podcast, I'm going to take a short break, let the national guys pay the bills. We'll be right back on the beat live. All right, boys, 9.27 p.m. in the east. We are on the beat live. I'm Tommy Ashley. That's Gregory Hall. That's Greg Barnes. Let's sort of turn the uh, discussion to the defensive side of the ball. And I see a bunch of questions popping up in the chat, and we'll get to some of them um, as we go along. But, Greg, I don't know if I've seen Mac Brown heap as much praise on a player since he's been back at Carolina as he did with Jeremiah Gimmel. And – I don't even know if he was talking about his on the play, uh, on the field play. He was just talking about the guy himself. Uh, Gimmel's going to be a special talent for this team, but it's so much deeper than what he can do um, from the inside linebacker position. Yeah, let me say this first. I said a few minutes ago that there's only ten practices left. Uh, there's actually thirteen. I wasn't counting the the three that they will have in in game week. So excuse me on that. It's thirteen practices left. Um, yeah, I, th I think the interesting thing about Gimmel is he was overlooked because of Chaz Surratt's story, which is an incredible story. But even last year, um, you know, I don't think we had the conversations. I don't know that Chaz was really that much better than what Jeremiah did, especially when you consider that Jeremiah is the heart and soul of the defense in terms of leadership and uh, calling plays and those kind of things. Um, 
the other part of it is because he is the heart of the defense and because he is the, the leader and, and the play caller, um, that's kind of been my focus point, focal point. And it's not so much about his play. Like, he's a good player for sure. But those other things make him very unique. And it's almost as if we focus so much on the intangibles uh, that when you actually look at the production, that's kind of secondary. And I think really that's kind of what Max getting at is like, I mean, this is, this is a kid that should be like a legitimate NFL prospect. And when you combine that with all these other things that he can do, well, now you got a heck of a player. And for, for Mac Brown to say that he's one of the uh, best leaders that he's ever been around, and Mac's been coaching for 40 years, 30 years as a head coach, that's saying a lot. He's had a lot of really good teams, coached a national championship team at Texas. That's, a, that's some high praise. Um, and I think it's critically important. Everybody expects this defense to take a step forward. Uh, the defense needs to take a significant step forward. But to do that, you have got to have tremendous leadership on the field. Um, and it just so happens that UNC's best leader is also probably at the most critical position as well. And so Jeremiah is going to have the opportunity to really shine. And, and I hope he enjoys this year because uh, he's got a bright future ahead of him. Jay Bateman's been really high on Ra Ra, Power, Cedric Gray, all those guys. I don't think – I mean, they're talented. We know they're talented. But Jeremiah has got to be playing a role in their development as far as getting them to understand what he, what is expected of them, right? Because, I mean, since Max Benier has talked about playing to a certain standard and Jeremiah's been as consistent as anyone on the defensive side of the ball. And when you take him off, right, he's, he's still impactful on the sideline because he spent the entire spring on the sideline. And so if he can be impactful – off the field, then you can have Eugene Asante, you can have Ra Ra, Power, Cedric, you can have those guys on the field. And don't get me wrong, Jeremiah is going to play pretty much every pretty much every snap. Maybe not that that caliber, but I'd be surprised if he's less than 80% of defensive snaps, depending on game situation and the score and things like that. But if you can take him off the field and have him being a leader and helping with play calling and things like that, then you're not concerned with who's behind him trying to lead on the field because he's still doing it off. So I think that's kind of what's led Mac to claim that he's been one of the best leaders. Cause we've all seen it. If you watch a Jeremiah press conference, you know, he knows fo- the game of football. You talk to any player and they all point to Jeremiah. Every single one of them will say Jeremiah's name. And it's not like Mac's throwing around the phrase, the best, like one of the best leaders I've ever seen. Right. It's not like last year he said it about Chaz, right. He did. He did it. He hasn't said it about every linebacker he's had since he's been in Carolina, which I guess is only really Chaz and Jeremiah, but you know what I mean. Absolutely. The thing about, and you mentioned uh, power and rah-rah, those guys are going to be um, very good, if not great players while they're at Carolina. But we've seen plenty of instances over the years. Um, I've followed Carolina football for a long time where talented players come in and they're really talented, but they don't have – the leadership and the guidance from an older guy and they never pan out. I mean, the list at Carolina is long enough itself. And then you add in every other school in the country, Gimmel pays that forward. Um, and we'll see those dividends when Rara and when power Eccles are playing important roles on every down um, as they get older in the system. And Greg, I think that, that right there is how you build culture. That's how you build a program. And that's what I think 
aside from the defensive talk we're at, that's where I think Mac has really done a service to UNC, the football program, in that regard alone. Yep, I agree. Gregory, uh, say what you're going to say, then I'll, I'll follow up with Tommy there. I was going to say, I don't think Chaz is the type of – is the has the production that he has without Jeremiah. Yeah. Because, yes, Chaz is a great athlete, and, yes, the story of him switching from quarterback to linebacker was that he st- had to study defenses as a quarterback and he understood defenses, but that still doesn't mean you don't know how to play linebacker. If he has someone other than Jeremiah Gimmel, who might be a good linebacker, but isn't as vocal and can't really take Chaz and help him. He probably doesn't produce as much. And then I think that leads to Eugene. And someone asked if Eugene Asante can be more productive than Chaz. Yes. Right. I think very much can, because he has, what's the talk have been about Eugene, right? Is that he, and Greg, I think you've said it on this podcast is that he's a, has the, he's a better linebacker than Chaz was. It's just a matter of molding that and molding the athleticism and kind of understanding what you can do, which Chaz knew what he could do as an athlete. So it's kind of, it's different. It's a different production or different path as far as figuring out what you can do as a linebacker, which is what Chaz needed to do versus what you can, things like that. But the answer is yes, he can be better than Chaz. And Bateman's a a good schematics coach. So he understood what Chaz Surratt brought to the table and he was going to utilize those skill set. And I think sometimes people kind of miss that about, X's nose is that a lot of times on defense you're calling plays because you want certain plays to go to certain players because you want those guys to make the plays. You want those guys to make the tackles. Um, and so when you've got a guy like Gimbal who does everything well, but you've got Chaz who maybe, especially in his first year was only good at a couple things, but he could be fantastic at those things. Then you take advantage of it. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, I don't think you look solely at production to determine how good linebackers are. But to your point, I, I thought uh, Jeremiah, he did a lot of really good things last year. And I thought he was the, for sure the better linebacker two years ago. Tommy, t- t- to your point, we oh, haven't seen on. it. Sorry. I'm also yeah. not hating on Chaz. Just so someone asked if we were hating on Chaz. Chaz is phenomenal. He's a great linebacker and he's going to have a very solid NFL career. I hope he does. I'm just saying that's the level that Jeremiah is at. And Eugene already is at a phenomenal level and can, basically not miss a beat replacing him. So go ahead, Greg. I just wanted to make that clear. Chaser is a very good football player. Tommy, be sure to cut that part of the, the podcast. Um, I'm going to leave it because they'll come after Gregory, not me, and I'm not <laughs> used to that. The, uh, <laughs> we haven't seen it a lot at North Carolina over the years where you've had so much talent and so much depth that you could do what you're talking about, Tommy. We do have – the great ability to, to look at what North Carolina basketball has done over the years. And if you just look back to the, you know, the run they had back in 16 and 17, Joel Berry was a two-time, you know, uh, all Final Four kind of guy. He scored 20 points in the national championship game two years in a row. And it's because he played alongside and behind of Marcus Page his freshman year. He had a great leader in front of him. And that allowed him to understand what the position was about. That allowed him to say, okay, I'm pretty good, but these are ways that I can get better that I never even considered. And so he was able to build on what Marcus taught him. And we've seen that throughout history with Carolina basketball, where really good players are behind seniors and people are like, well, he's clearly talent, more talented than the senior. Yeah, but he may not understand exactly what he's supposed to be doing. And that senior does, and there's value in that. 
And so when you look across the country and you look at Ohio State, you look at Alabama, you look at Clemson, you got five stars sitting on the bench. Now, in a couple years, they're going to be playing. But they've been able to learn behind really good players, and it makes them better because of it. Just because you have a five-star on campus as a true freshman, if you've got good players in front of him, he doesn't need to play. And that's one of the things I think the message board at IC is really going to have an interesting dynamic here because they're so used to saying, well, this kid's a five-star or four-star. Of course he's going to play. To now it's like, well, they got another four-star. He's going to be really good, but he's going to have to wait his turn. And I don't think the message board has kind of realized that yet, that Mac Brown has finally stocked the, the cupboards here. And just because you're a four-star or five-star, that's not going to guarantee you playing time as a freshman. You're going to have to beat out other guys that are four and five stars who have already been in the system for a year or two. And that's just a completely unique thing to, to North Carolina football that we really haven't seen other than a couple years there with Butch. And I think, you know, Clemson will play freshman. Um, Breesy on the line, defensive line. Miles Murphy, their Miles Murphy on, on the line. Lawrence. They, yeah, right. it, it, Dexter Lawrence. They will play freshman. Alabama, Nick Saban will play true freshman that can make an impact, but they don't have to have them. And that's the key to building um, a big time program. And that's where we're going here watching this. Uh, talking about linebacker play, I think the big difference between uh, 19 and 20 in linebacker production, especially for Chaz Surratt, and I won't get people stirred up because you know, I think Chaz is fantastic. But I think the defensive line was huge in 19 with Strobridge and Crawford keeping guys out of their faces. And for whatever reason, that didn't happen as much for Surratt last year and, and in that regard, Gimmel as well. And I think Gimmel was asked about having a good defensive line. Greg, it starts on the defensive line for the defense. We've talked about this over and over. The better those guys are, the better your linebackers are if you're a good football team. How important is it, and you mentioned it earlier, for Jay Bateman to get this rotation figured out? Um, who's go who are going to be the starters? How many players can play? How many snaps? Uh, you know, does, does a 75% Bohasic um, beat out 100% Cayman Rucker or whoever, however you want to do it? How important is that to get ironed out? Or does it need to be ironed out specifically? you know, until deep in the season. Yeah, I, I think it's a good talking point, but I think you're right that you it's kind of semantics, right? Like everybody's going to get to play, and whoever plays the best is going to get to play the most. Um, the key is finding guys, and one of the reasons you'll see a lot of guys play early, uh, you don't necessarily play just to, just to play guys. You play to figure out who are your playmakers, who are the guys you can count on. Um, I'll never forget, you know, two or three years in the Butch's tenure here uh, and I asked him about, you know, some of the defensive linemen that he had and kind of what, what he wanted to do on the back end. He said, yeah, if you got four studs up front, you can do whatever you want to do on the back end. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> and it's the truth. <laughs> I mean, if you, if you look at, we were talking about it on the board the other day, if you look at that 2013 defense, you know, that team had a losing record, I guess, up until or right after the Miami Thursday night game. And then they turned it around and, what, one, what, six of the last seven, whatever that was, that was completely fueled by the defense. And that was actually a really good defense, even though I know people don't think Vic Cunningham had any good defenses. That was a really <laughs> good defense, especially late in the year, because of Kareem Martin. And Kareem really elevated his play. 
and every single offense had to double team him. And just having one legitimate defensive lineman who the offense has to account for and has to send an extra body out, that changes the whole dynamic of the defense. North Carolina, to your point, Tommy, uh, they had that in 2019, even though they didn't have depth. Crawford and Strobridge were good enough uh, to really elevate the defense probably beyond what it was capable of. Last year, they had more defense, but the defense was worse because they didn't have those guys up front. Uh, and you know, late in the year, Vahasic really came on and Murphy started playing better. You'll have those guys this year and you possibly will have multiple guys. So it really is a matter of saying, okay, we know this guy's consistent. We know he's going to do what we ask him to do. But they're at a point now, if not this year, next year, certainly, where it's not just enough to do what you're supposed to do and to be okay. Like, you're going to have to make plays. You're going to have to be disruptive. You're going to have to demand double teams. And they think they've got enough guys that can do that. And at that point, and when you can rotate those guys, I mean, Jay Bateman can do whatever he wants to do. You got a situation where uh, as your you know, programs are like, I want this guy to play. I want this backup guy to play. And if it's a net negative or, or if it's a net neutral, we're good with it. Yep. They're at the point where you, it better be a, a net positive or you're not going to see the field. And like you said, Bateman will be able to do whatever he wants to do on the back end. So let's look at the back end as we get deeper in this podcast. Uh, Tony Grimes, is he going to be the leader back there? Uh, let's – I don't want to assume Storm Duck's not going to be perfectly healthy because I don't know. We'll see. A lot of people have said Storm Duck's the best corner on the team. Is, is Tony Grimes, though – the key for this defensive backfield, Greg? Is that fair? You know, I think it's a great question. Um, and I, I think they've got three legitimate options. I mean, I really think uh, we've heard a lot of good things about Kyler McMichael. I think he's steady. He's kind of the veteran. He's been around. I mean, the fact, I think there's a lot of value in him spending time at Clemson, especially in a year where they win the national championship. And nobody's uh, talking about him for Carolina. No, right no. Now. Well, Tony's the, the flashy new thing, and Storm's been injured. And I agree that Storm was the best cornerback that North Carolina's had when he's healthy. And Dre Bly said the same thing. You know, last year, the first two games, Storm was the dude. Um, and so I, I do think if, if Storm's healthy, he's the top option. And then you know, Tony has proven that, that he's capable. But I think, I think they got three guys that they really trust. I know Day-Day has been thrown into the mix. But I think those three are really uh, head and shoulders above everybody else. And, and the key there is simply that if you've got two guys, and they've got three, but if you've got two guys that you trust to put on islands, it gives you so many different options schematically. And I, th I think that's, that's the main thing here, not necessarily you know, who the best lockdown guy is, because I think, I think all three of them are be pretty good at that. Right. What's the likelihood of seeing Kyler, Storm, and Tony on the field in passing situations together? very often it, it sounds fascinating and I, I think fans would love to see it for obvious reasons but i did not see it once in scrimmages in the spring right i watched i guess four four that's scrimmages hell, that's a hell of a dime package though yeah for sure if they have the three of those they got morrison and they got conley out that's there. why they moved conley the nickel so they could have him on the field so but in all those scrimmages I didn't see those three on the field together once. 
um, or even three cornerbacks at all once. Yeah, they never had three corners. They always had a nickel out there. Yeah. And then Kyle McMichael, he was asked the other day, has he played any nickel? Nope. And he's the guy you think would play nickel. You're right. He's got the um, size. So I think the odds are we're not going to see it. I, I think it's going to be a traditional nickel. Um, if they want to move Conley up, I really think it may be more of a more of the Matt Campbell, um, you know, three 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 look than it would be three cornerbacks on the field. It's nice to have options, right? Sure. Uh, I mean, there there have been years and years and years where there were no options, and Bateman's got them. Uh, you know, we talked about Conley, or I mentioned Conley just there. Greg, watching that Orange Bowl, and, and I know he's a stud, and he he's he's impressive, but he was straight gassed in the Orange Bowl at the end of that game, or either maybe a little gimpy. Um, how much improvement has he made since that game going into this fall camp and now going into, I guess, uh, preseason, uh, pregame stuff, getting ready since classes are starting tomorrow? I mean, he's just – He's another guy that's just there, and he's going to be really good for Jay Bateman on that back end. For sure. And, and the fact that so many of these guys got got a lot of experience you know, throughout the year last year, but to play in that type of game on that type of stage against a, a team that arguably should have been in the college football playoff, um, that just does wonders for confidence. And you know, we've heard Josh Downs talk about that. Um, I, I, think, I think you can't say enough about – those opportunities and, and the fact that uh, Conley now is kind of settled in at his natural position as safety, as Gregory said, you know, they kind of put him at nickel just so that he wouldn't, they weren't, so they wouldn't be concerned with him on, on the back end, but also to get him playing time because they knew kind of what he would bring to the table. Uh, but just the ability to, to get him at his natural position and let him be the, the weapon that he can be. Um, it's just another piece of this puzzle that, that Jay Bateman's got to be psyched about. And um, you know, when you got when you got a guy like Tra- Trey Morrison, who a couple years ago arguably was the best player they had on defense. I mean, Max's first year, they talked about Morrison maybe being the best player on defense. So now he's battling to save his starting spot. Um, I, th- I think that really speaks to the to the amount of depth they've got now, and to the amount of talent they have, especially in the in the secondary. So Gregory, let me ask you a question. Who, who have we forgotten? We've talked about a lot in this podcast. Who are we not talking about that? We need to be talking about at this point. Just Gregory's, guy. Gregory's guy. I was about to, I was literally just about to bring that up. Tommy, I don't remember who I asked because we've had so many <laughs> press conferences at this point, but who was the guy who, when they put pads on made the stood out the most, who was it? Uh, did you see i was you were added on twitter i was added on twitter about this who was the guy that stood out when we put pads on who was him and rucker des evans oh geez if this was an explicit podcast i would have followed it up (laughs) i'm just saying so you better look out because you put those pads on and that's who we haven't talked about also chris uh chris collins his name's been thrown around and just the outside linebackers in general we have not talked about to answer your question but mainly my guy does Evans, who's about to drop like nine sacks this season. All right. For the record, people are listening to this, and I know some people are because I can see it on YouTube. He's got 
I don't know where you are on my on the YouTube screen, but he's got Des Evans sack leader. I've got Taman Fox sack leader. Greg Barnes, I think, is in my camp, even though he won't admit it. Um, so we're still on that debate, and I'm going to take you up for it because I got a son at Carolina now, so I got a reason to be there. And by the way, you mentioned the on the beat live at he's not on Tuesday night. All you got to do is figure out the logistics. I, I just got to figure it out because that would be that would be a lot of fun. Oh, you got to it's do trivia night out. on Tuesdays too. Well, we answer some questions. We'll have uh, Inside <laughs> Carolina on the beat trivia. Greg, who's the guy we're not talking about, or who's you know the couple guys we're not talking about? Because I, I feel like there's so much talent across this team that we're missing a plenty if we don't talk about everybody. We have, right. That's what we do this weekly, right? Yeah. Because yeah, I mean, if we did everybody <laughs> every week, it would get you know. And that's that's one of the, the things is when you when you have a team that won eight games a year ago had a successful season, and pretty much everybody's back. Uh, I mean, there, there's a lot of guys that can that can chip in and be productive. I mean, Kamon Rucker is a guy we talked about a lot in the off season. Haven't said a whole lot about him in in camp thus far. Uh, we have talked about Vahasic a little bit, but he's one that has really stepped up and. Uh, they think he's strong and they think he's a legitimate, uh, you know, all ACC type guy at nose tackle. You, you know, everybody likes to, to focus on the, the shiny new things. And while I, I think Ritz, he's probably a guy that's going to earn some playing time. Uh, Miles Murphy has, has really showed out. Um, and so uh, Kevin Hester was a guy we talked about in the spring. So a lot of guys like that, even on the defensive line that we've talked about, we talked about the position a lot. We haven't necessarily talked about those guys a lot. We talked about guys behind them. So there's a lot of hope for the future. But I think right now when you're talking about the Hasek and Murphy and Hester, I mean, those may be your, your key guys up front. And I don't feel like we've talked about them much at all. Tamari Fox, we don't really talk about. Yeah, it sounds like Tamari's maybe taking a, a step Slips, back. Slipped into the two deep. Yeah. I Wait. wanted to bring up special teams because – We'd never really talk about it because we haven't really, there hasn't really been much to talk about because special teams has been disappointing. Did to you say the bring least. it up? Did you bring it up because I told you to on the Slack or you had it? Before? No, I'm listening to the chat, not you. The chat's oh. my bo- the chat <laughs> the chat's my boss. Um, but no, so great. I just wanted Mac talks about special teams and he's talked about it a lot as far as that's what they really need to improve on, and that was like one of their main goals in the scrimmage on Saturday. It's not really something you can rely on to he says like to win games off of it but is it really something you can win games off of or is it really something that you just you don't want to lose games off of because that's kind of how i've always viewed special teams is don't muff a punt right like don't make those mistakes that just gives the other team easy field position but can you really win games off special teams hold on greg hold on greg have you ever heard of beamer ball gregory I've heard of it, but I don't like know the def. I don't, couldn't define it for you. Okay, Virginia Tech made a living off of winning games in special teams. Go ahead, Greg. <laughs> so, okay, you have you have two ways of looking at it. You have Gregory's point of not losing games, which we've got familiarity with that when Butch Davis put Trace Jones back and said, "Just catch the ball." Your job is to catch the ball. And Trace Jones did a fantastic job with that. But there was no threat of a return by design. That was, that was the goal. Things had gotten out of control there, and they just wanted security. Don't lose the game. 
to Tommy's point, Frank Beamer really changed the game of college football for, for a lot of people. When he made special teams, he kind of made it an offensive weapon. Um, and it, it worked. I mean, if, if you've got two of the three phases of the game that are elite, and when you got Bud Foster as your defensive coordinator, you could do that. That's why Virginia Tech had so much success. Add in a couple of really good quarterbacks, Michael Vick, Tyrod Taylor. You can win a lot of ACC championships. Um, and I don't know what Mac's policy is. It's something we should probably talk to him about. Larry Fedora, you could not start on offense or defense unless you started on special teams, one of the four special teams. Uh, but a lot of coaches have kind of taken that approach. And so I, I think with now that North Carolina has such good depth, even though a lot of it's young, they have so many guys that can actually compete now for special teams. It's not just a matter of saying, okay, look, dude, you've got to play special teams without anybody else. It's, guys are competing. That right. puts you in a, a situation where not only are you making sure you're not making the mistakes, but you're creating opportunities for more block punts. You're creating opportunities for, for block kicks. You've got guys like Josh Downs and Ty Chandler who can return kicks and maybe be successful with it. So that's where you kind of get into, because we have more talent, because we have more depth and some more offensive skill weapons, that now we can kind of say, okay, we're not just going to be conservative. We're actually going to try to, to make sure this works in our favor. And I think Carolina is probably at that point right now. Why would – I mean, I know they're saying Josh can be just like Daz in the receiving, but like Daz – was shifty and why would why could Josh be a better punt returner and returner than Daz was last two years? Because I I think when you look at the punt return position more so than any other position, any other job on the football field, you've got to have stones, you've got to have quicks, and you've got to have vision. Um, Ryan Switzer probably should have had had his head removed from his body several times, but he had guts. And he had speed. And so he made a lot of guys look silly, even though he probably put his life in danger a few times. I mean, he tried the whole like fake. I mean, what he returned like seven kicks for. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. He had seven touchdowns, right, in the return game. Yeah. Phenomenal. Yeah, that's absurd. Now, if you look at what he did running routes compared to Daz Newsome, I mean, pretty similar, right? That's not a knock on Daz. It just takes a unique talent. Uh, Brandon Tate did it, right? Brandon Tate was a good wide receiver, but he was electric as a returner. Uh, We haven't seen Josh Downs do it, so we don't know, to your point. But he's got the speed. He's got the athleticism. If he has the vision, maybe he's a guy that can be a game changer for him. And and to Mac's point, though, Mac said that he felt like they had, um, and and I'm paraphrasing, he felt like they had a much better returner than the production showed right? or something exactly. to that effect. And, and yep. it, you know, you can have an elite punt returner. If nobody's blocking or covering, right. punt, you're going to get him killed. And ultimately that's what happened to uh, Brandon Tate. I believe against Notre Dame in the 2008 game is he took a bad hit, but go ahead, Gregory. But my, my take on special teams is the more you stack talent and you provide them with the opportunity if you want to play on offense or defense, then you better excel on special teams. That's when you get to be elite in that third phase of the ball game. And what I kind of left off in my mind, Tommy, like you just brought up is what Mac had said is like, Daz wasn't, we could, couldn't return the punts because there was no punt block threat. So then they were just sending guys and they didn't have to worry about that. So that plays a role too. 
which I wasn't thinking of when I brought this subject up, but I think someone in the chat mentioned Grayson Atkins. He's got to be phenomenal this year, right? Like 35 yard field goals can't be misses. And he was great at the tail end. He just started off a little slow, but I think at least in my mind, when I think of UNC being better at special teams, it starts and stops with that um, and things like that. So, yeah. We, we had, and Joey Powell and I did some 40 clubs with uh, Dan Orner. Y'all know who that is. And then the Barth brothers. And to have a field goal kicker who uh, just doesn't miss inside 40, I mean, that's like free money, right? You, yeah. you got to have that. And Atkins can do it. He did it late in the season. He struggled early. Um, but Carolina needs to be, you know, we're talking about Carolina, and, and this is what I wanted to talk about the last segment of this podcast. Carolina's preseason ninth or 10th, whatever you want to look at. That's approaching elite, right? That's approaching elite status um, in the preseason. They're getting a ton of respect from the voters, whoever you want to talk about voting, whatever. They're starting in the top 10. And for them to, to finish that way, Greg, is you got to be almost elite in all three phases, whether it's special teams with Atkins making his field goals, whether it's um, offense with Sam having a great year in Ty Chandler. I mean – this is an entire – and that was what was fascinating listening to Mac Brown and his pressure is all the different things that have to go right for a team to be elite when you're not named Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, I guess Oklahoma maybe. Um, Carolina's in that position now where they can, but they have to do it completely. Your thoughts? Correct. And I, I think they're on the fringe of that elite range. Uh, the difference being – you may have a Georgia come out, you know, I think Georgia's, I don't know what they are, fifth or sixth, whatever it may be, um, come out and, and not play very well and maybe even lose early on to a decent team. What's going to happen? Yeah, they played bad. You know what? I heard them in the race, but we still know Georgia's elite. Carolina goes into Blacksburg and loses. It's like, oh, okay, so they really are kind of a fraud. And you'll see North Carolina take a drop pretty – significantly in the, in the polls so they have to they're getting respect but it's like okay we're going to put you here let's see how you perform uh because i mean kind of the way i look at it is when you look at what sam howe has done the last couple of years i mean best quarterback north carolina's ever had i don't think i don't think you can really have much of a conversation about it how many games does he won he's won 15 that's good 15 math. games, right? That's crazy, though. That's to think math. about. We're talking about a guy like Greg said, who's the best that's ever played at Carolina. And he's 15 and 10 as a starting quarterback. That's <laughs> incredible. Go ahead, Greg. So the fact that he put up the numbers that he did last year in North Carolina still lost four games um, tells you that there was a lot of work to be done. And I mean, one of the best, that, that was the best offense in UNC football history last year. And they lost four games. They were eight and four. They finished fourth in the ACC. So that kind of speaks to the special teams issues. That speaks to the defensive issues, which were plenty. Yes, the defense played better later in the year. Uh, still weren't great, especially late in the game against Notre Dame and, and Texas A&M. So there's a lot of work to be done. And, uh, Tommy, I, I think kind of to your point, Darrell Royal, old coach at Texas, uh, who was kind of a mentor to Mac, said it and. I think it's 100% true. 
but you've got to stockpile so much talent that you can just out talent teams in certain games. Because even if you're good, you're only going to play your A game maybe four or five times the entire year. But if you're like Alabama and you're favored about 30 every single week, well, guess what? You can bring your C game and you're still going to be competitive and still probably going to win. North Carolina is not there yet. They got a long way to go before they get there. North Carolina is at a point now where if they play their B game against some of these teams, they can still eke out a victory. Um, But they're going to have to play every single week. And there's, I know people kind of overlook the schedule. Virginia Tech is going to be a tough game. I, I don't think Virginia Tech is, is the third best team on their schedule. I think State's going to be okay. I think Pittsburgh is going to be good. I think Virginia game is going to be tough. Obviously, Miami and Notre Dame is going to be tough. So there are a number of games there where North Carolina, if they don't play their best, they're going to get beat. Um, and they've, they've got to prove that they can do it every single week. And that is just a really difficult thing to do. And yes, having Sam may allow you to win a game like the Wake Forest game last year, where North Carolina had no business winning that game. They were so bad defensively in that game, <laughs> they had no right winning that game. And Sam just put them on his shoulders and, and carried them to victory. Uh, so you may have a game like that or two, but you can't count on him to do that time and time again. So, uh, yes, they're at that threshold. Now they have to prove they belong. They had the opportunity last year against Florida State. They failed. So maybe they learned from that and, and – get better with it this year greg you mentioned alabama and the bring their c game every time i t- think of that it goes back to, i think it was last year their shootout that they had with ole miss right. did you guys did you guys watch that game it's just every time it was up the field and just alabama warm out and eventually got a stop and that was just at that point that's just all having depth and talent yep. right because i mean Ole miss was playing right with them but ran out of gas so yeah, it's like point. Alabama was like, okay, we'll do this. You know, yeah, if it was you like, want to. I just want to go home, man. <laughs> <laughs> and then, but um, I mean, that's the challenge, and Mac talked about that, and, and it's always interesting to to hear coaches talk about the challenge of getting their guys to focus on being as Greg. To your point, playing your A game every week, it does not happen. It just doesn't. It doesn't happen for Alabama, like you mentioned. Doesn't happen for Clemson. It doesn't happen for Ohio State. But when your C game is better than most of your opponent's A game, you can get there. And Carolina's not there. They're getting there. I, I think the trick is, Greg, and this is – I'll let you close the show talking about this. The trick is playing your A game when you have to. Right. And you can always slip up. I mean, Florida State was god-awful last year, and Carolina lost to them. Virginia was decent. I think Virginia was a decent football team. Florida State was terrible, and Carolina lost to them. But so, how does Mac in this last, you know, you mentioned thirteen practices before the Virginia Tech game, get this team focused going into this season? That okay, team, you're not going to play your best every week, but I need your best every week. You know what I mean? Right. It, you you got to figure it out and. You got to do it when the hype around this Carolina program is ridiculously high and the players hear it. I mean, without question, the players hear it. Mac and his staff, what's their job here in the next two and a half weeks? Yeah. Uh, Gregory mentioned the Bama game against Ole Miss. <laughs> Bama averaged or, or allowed their opponents to average 19 points per game last year. They gave up 48 to Mississippi and 46 to Florida and still held their <laughs> opponents to 19 points per game. It's crazy. Um, 
I think I think when you know you've got a guy like Sam Howell, who has been elite in the fourth quarter, and that's kind of has been his bread and butter. As good as he is in all four quarters, he's especially really good in the fourth quarter. I think it's really all about the defense. Uh, we talked about it a lot this offseason. The defense looked okay for three quarters against AM and Notre Dame and just crapped the bed late in the fourth quarter. Um, they were not good. Was it because of the depth? Sure. I mean, we can, we can label it however you want to. They were not good when it mattered. And when you talk about the rotations, that's really what it gets down to is we can rotate guys. We can have a legitimate three deep because we got the bodies to do that. But in the fourth quarter, when we need a stop, when we're down seven and it's third and two and they can run out the clock if they pick this up, there's got to be guys that they can trust. Say, all right, go in, get a stop. We know you're going to make it happen. And I don't know that they had that last year up front. And so they like what they've got up front. Now those guys have to prove it. They have to be tested. I mean, Mac talked about it. There's you know, the season opener against Virginia Tech. I'm on record saying I think North Carolina is going to win that one handily. Double digits. But they, they're going to have to play. And it would not surprise me if it's very much like the Syracuse game last year where, I mean, North Carolina was up, what, four points going into the fourth quarter against a bad Syracuse team? But then they, they turned on the Jets in the fourth quarter and really pulled away. Um, so you've got to find a, win, a way to win that first game, I think, is important. And you can really lean on your defense to do that because I don't think Virginia Tech's offense is going to be great by any stretch. But then it's building on that, and it's really allowing your defense to make plays when it counts. I, I think the way Forest game helped – last year in that regard because the defense kind of came together and got a few critical stops that allowed Sam Howell to, to be the magician that he was. They didn't do that in the games that mattered against Notre Dame and Texas A&M. Um, and you know, the Miami game, North Carolina blew the Hurricanes out early, so nobody really had to step up late because the game was over. I mean, that's, that's your preference. Uh, but some of these games are going to be tight. And so you got to make sure when you've got a guy like Jeremiah Gimble, who's a great leader, that he can make sure to keep the guys engaged, ready to play, and have those guys that can make plays up front. I, I think that's the key component to it. Uh, but when you have a guy like Sam Howe who you can count on, I mean, that, that eliminates one side of the field for you, which, which is a critical thing. And that third and two point that you brought up, I mean, that goes back to what you were saying about it's no longer just come in and do what you're asked. It's come in and make a play yep. every single time, right? Like that's the, that's the expectation. That's the standard that they've built. And then a lot of a couple of people in the chat have mentioned with the A game thing and the C game being the A game. It's not going to be a, like every opponent that you face isn't going to be at their A game necessarily, but with the hype that UNC's at, they're going to try happens? to knock them off. They're going to be like, why is UNC hasn't, like you said, they're 15 and 10. If, if I'm Virginia tech, right. And someone mentioned that on the message boards that their confidence is high and whatnot. If I'm Virginia Tech, I'm I'm highly confident. Not necessarily that I'm overly confident that I'm expecting a win, but you've got the Forest State loss last year. You've got the Virginia loss last year. You've got the not showing up at the end of Notre Dame. Like there's so much to look at and be like, yeah, they've got Sam Howell and it's just hype. And you can just all, there's so many reasons why if I'm Virginia Tech, I'm being like, look, we got this. So that I'm, to, I'm with you and I think UNC is going to win because they're more talented, but then that's kind of where Mac and the team needs to be like, look, 
And I think I've, when I think it was like the first time we talked to Mac, maybe it was at ACC kickoff. He broke up. He was talking about three, three week seasons throughout it. I loved that because that's how you have to view this. Cause if you, if you start looking ahead, which I think maybe they did a little bit going into that Florida state game, sure. You're going to lose. It's just going to happen regardless of talent, because I mean, especially on the road home, different story. They've got seven home games, but their two toughest road games or three toughest road games are Virginia Tech, Pitt, Notre Dame, right? Like those are all losable games. So yeah, that's just my closing things that I wanted to mention, Tom. Yeah, I think you mentioned teams playing, you know, every opponent's not going to play their A game, but when you're the hunted, you're going to catch every team's best effort at an A game. Whereas if you're Carolina playing 2004 against Miami and you've just gotten waxed and Miami's expecting a, a sorry Carolina, it's the difference. And, and that preseason ranking yep. puts that target on Carolina's back going into Virginia Tech. Somebody on the, the feed asked, who's going to be at Virginia Tech? I'll be there. I'm in section 39 and I think I'm going to be able to see uh, West Virginia from our seats because we're so far up in the roof. <laughs> so uh, we, we will be there, but uh, we will continue to do this on the beat live every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. The next couple of weeks, we'll have something special. We're going to try to do a more interactive show. Oh, yeah. I'm excited for this. And, and, and it may or may not work, but we're going to try to. You're asking questions on the YouTube chat. We might actually have live bodies step into our Zoom room, ask a question, hang out for a minute, and then get, get out answer, of there, and then dip out. Well, we we kick you out, but you you dip out. Should be a fun thing if Gregory Hall can figure out how to get it done. Where we don't have a bunch of uh, a big party here in the Zoom room, we're going to do that. On the I mean, even if we daily. even if we have a big party, you know, I mean. So we, we got to figure out. We got to figure out how to get the. We got to figure out how to get the gong. The gong show in. Can the can the yeah. IC Premium Zoom handle 145 people? Because that's will, how many people we got in chat. Right. We now. will bring everybody in. So call your neighbors, call your friends. It's going to be a party on Tuesday nights at 9 p.m. That's Gregory Hall. That's Greg Barnes, the best beat writer in the business. I'm just a guy host tommy ashley this has been on the beat live inside carolina podcast sponsored by johnny t-shirt and johnny t-shirt.com thanks boys